0: This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data, and analysis over at businessofapps.com.
1: Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful, but brief. In this episode, we have Jeff Wong, VP of Growth at Hayatos. Jeff, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Thanks. Good to be here. Terrific. Thanks for coming, Jeff. All right. Um, I don't think anybody in the app industry would argue with the fact that growth is what occupies app marketers and developers' mind all the time from Monday to Friday, Friday, and unfortunately quite often from Friday to Monday as well, people do mental gymnastics on for how to make their app's growth more efficient. But you cannot uh, improve anything you cannot measure. What analytic reports are important to check regularly to measure your app's growth? How do we do incrementality growth analysis? I invited Jeff to read all these puzzling questions for you. Jeff, let's talk about you, your background in tech first.
0: Yeah, so I'm fairly new to tech. I've actually only been here for about two and a half years. Uh, the very my very first entry into tech was to be head of marketing, so that was quite a, a shock to get into things. Uh, Learn a lot along the way, and. Just got a really good opportunity, I think, like um, I was in retail for two and a half years working with uh, big brands such as like Forever 21, Nordstrom, and all of those guys on the agency side for large global marketing agencies. And then I got a DM from a CEO of a startup that were looking to build out their marketing team from scratch. They wanted someone that can be on the tactical side, but also with an eye towards strategy and leadership with a potential... Um, for the former and definitely an ability for the tactical. So they can tell that I could do the tactical side and we've done pretty well the past two and a half years able to take on more of those VP responsibilities. So I've gone from being like a single marketing channel all the way up into multiple marketing channels, uh, lots of people on the team, building out many sides of marketing and learning a lot of uh, the tech business along the way.
1: Oh, that's great. So you're saying uh, two and a half years ago, roughly speaking, you know, the um, inception of COVID in 2020, right? Or like maybe 2020. Mid- yeah, I, I,
0: I think it was around the time people were scared to maybe leave jobs. So they had to take a chance on someone that was uh,
1: maybe on the younger side. So I definitely uh-huh. took advantage of that when people weren't leaving boy time ran so fast two two and a half years ago it feels like ages ago because of so much things uh, have happened ever since that time now tell us please about your company hayatos what do you guys do pretty interesting name for a company
0: yeah so we we do personal fintech we've been around for 7 years uh we raised a seed round in i think 2016 and haven't raised any serious funding since. So we've been self-sustained, uh, whether through traditional financing, but we're mostly a private company. I think we're more private than most tech startups. Um, but we've done quite a few things. We've built out a lot of tools in the wealth management space, especially when, when it comes down to consumer finances with subscriptions, billing, and budgeting. And we started to round out our offerings with more periphery products, with partnering with uh, financial products, players in the space, as well as building out our own content. Like we've done a lot to build our creative team. So becoming a more rounded, uh, all in one financial marketplace for consumers, uh, that's where we're headed and we've made some big, good progress, especially the last, uh, two or
1: three years. So you're helping all of us to handle this, uh, never ending stream of subscriptions, Apple music, um, Hulu, uh, Netflix, (laughs) Amazon Prime, um, and on and on. So many subscriptions for content, your finance. uh, And yeah, it's um, one of the things that you don't realize uh, that there's, there's actually can uh, be, you can actually find a company that can help you out to make sense of all this crazy uh, list of subscriptions that add on and, uh, slowly but surely uh, make a mess of your personal finance. So I see you have like 2 million uh, um, people you've helped over the seven years. So that's just the number of, I'm not saying, you know, at one point, but aggregatedly like in total, right? Uh, yep. Okay. Uh, now, before moving into the reports specifically, let's define some uh, terms quickly we're going to be mentioning later. Uh, so what do we mean by cohort and funnel in digital marketing?
0: Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot to marketing than just those two things, but, uh, I guess to define it for what it means to us, uh, for a cohort, it's usually since we're a subscription product with a monthly pay cycle, I'm sure our going to look different from other people, like whatever matters the most to their business. Um, But for us, it's usually customers acquired within a certain time frame. So it'd be like the April cohort or the March cohort to look at um, what their behavior is uh, in terms of payment retention, as well as user engagement. We also define it in terms of marketing channels. So where they came from, from this source or that source. Um, And we also do it through lifecycle segmentation. So we have these groups of users who are at this stage of onboarding or at this or they they like using this feature so we also do it that way there's a lot of ways to define it depending on your business and what you're looking for in marketing what you're trying to do and then for funnel we actually don't use funnel too much Um, for us we are a pretty quick consideration product Uh, subscription management is a hot topic so if you give them a brief explainer in like five, 10 minutes, they either decide to want to do it or not. There's not like a long consideration period. So there's not a lot of nurturing that happens. Um, Post acquisition, there's an entire onboarding funnel that you can look at, but I generally don't use funnels. I just say like, does this content work or does it not work? Is this driving customers or is it not driving customers? What I do do when I look at the funnel is is to support my content production to see Okay, so are they? Are we getting attention, are we getting engagement, are we getting conversions? That's probably like the funnel to build um, the content, but the funnel itself isn't like a, a key feature. It's more of a supporting metric for me.
1: Gotcha. So in your specific case, in your business, um, it's pretty straightforward. Once people are introduced to the concept, they can see the value right away and It's not like you know regular nurturing in a marketing when people can go through the multiple stages of a funnel for you it's pretty much either people are on board or not right it's pretty simple
0: yeah it's it's closer to e-commerce or gaming apps where you're not gonna try to convince someone over several weeks play like clash of clans for example exactly
1: right so uh now what specific reports do you guys personally use at work and why um
0: so I use a lot. Um I think in the beginning it was a lot simpler when we were a smaller team, I think. When I joined we were like 5 to 8 people went down to 6 just through like natural attrition and then now we're at closer to 20. So I could spend all day looking at reports. Um especially when you're leading teams there's it's really important to get a sense of, the, of business impact to guide workflows as well as strategical direction. Um, but yeah, in terms of what I use though, uh, I think customer quality is really important. Just seeing what users are doing post acquisition, are they an engaged user? Are they signing for premium? Um, all that good stuff. Customer acquisition reports, where are the caps for different um, sources and user acquisition? In a life cycle, I'm looking at, is this campaign influencing retention? Are we getting win back? Um, is this improving conversion rate and onboarding? There's larger retention reports, like how much voluntary, how much involuntary churn there is. I look at CX or feedback reports, like what users are giving us in terms of qualitative feedback. So the list kind of goes on and on and on. Um, and that's, that's a good thing because you don't want to, like just have like a, a a small set of reports to get every day, but you have a large set that you look at when it makes sense to.
1: Right, so you go over the reports on a daily basis, right? From Mondays to Friday to make sure you always keep your hand on the pulse.
0: I mean, we're a small company, so I have to do a lot of the hands-on stuff and a lot of the active management. Sometimes I have to show someone how to build a campaign and build and it you... alongside them. So it's, yeah. it's it's really like a pick and choose, like what 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 I need to look at today.
1: Any alerts that gives you a quick um, alert that something goes off, or you just have to look at the report, take a glance on you know general view and see are we, you know in term like are we still in the cor- corridor, is still within the limits, do we need to be right? So there's no way to automate this thing. You have to look for each report on a daily basis and see um, are we good or not, like. Like, I mean, if you're, uh, let's say setting up a Google alert for, um, mention on the Google for your company name, you can uh, open your email in the morning and see if uh, your company was in a specific publication, just an example. So in your case, all reports you're looking at that require attention, uh, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, what, one really good tip I would give is to have a regular cadence for certain reports. Um, on a weekly basis, I compile a bunch of them together for the team to look at, like a media report, like what are our caps between different channels, what are, what is our LTV, um, some commentary on some tactics and campaigns we're running for uh, some of our major channels, as well as a lifecycle report on a weekly basis, looking at what are what are those campaigns doing. So there's some things I think we sh- you should really just have a, the discipline of looking at on a regular cadence. So I think that's that's really, really key to to marketing is not to do things completely ad hoc, just like whatever feels right in the moment It's to look at things more like long term and in regular cycles. So you can find the patterns um, and regular reporting in a cadence uh, makes the most sense for that.
1: See. So I do hope when you go on a vacation, you can actually unplug yourself checking your reports for that week or hopefully two weeks, right? And somebody has to replace you in the company for doing that.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that'd be great if you had maybe fifty plus people in the company. Uh yeah. but the way to do that as a small company, like we still have a really good work life balance. Surprisingly so, I think both of our founders have really young kids. Uh they just had their first kid, I think, um, after I joined when we were maybe like less than 10 people. Mm-hmm. So at least for my team, like how I've set it up is to make it very, very, uh, there's a lot of attention to detail so that nothing really breaks. Like I have a really insane QA process. Like if something goes out, it's unlikely to, to be a problem. So no one has to come on the weekends because I know running the marketing program. Um, in the past, especially, I would have to be the one that fixes it no matter where I am. They can't be like, mm-hmm. all right, someone else is, you know, like not at a at a bar or something, you know, like I, I would have to run home or something. So like, <laughs> that, that's why I think like making a really, really strong QA system uh, when you're a small company is important for that work-life balance. Um, and also it's it's the kind of marketing you do, like you can I'll do a lot of things that are sent and forget. as long as you have a good schedule like you don't shouldn't be putting stuff out on the weekends and um they're pretty automated too if you for most digital marketing
1: that's that's very great point jeff uh you're running a business that uh, like you're not running a company for a few months for a few weeks you're in a business for years and years so it's a long run it's the marathon and if you don't set up from day one or you know if Quick period of time in the beginning, the way that you can actually go on vacation, make your break on we you know on the weekend or any holiday, you will be you know going crazy trying to catch up later or just like you're saying interrupt your um, uh, leisure time and just jump back to work. That's not a sustainable way of doing your business for sure. Yeah, I mean yeah, I think about talent retention too. It's just so hard
0: to find. Really, really, really good talent, and and keep them. So it's it's good to treat them well. And finding good workflow practices is is definitely achievable.
1: That like it's not going to burn people out. Right. So let's dive deeply into the most important report for a net marketer to use. Like if you can pick up the one.
0: Um. Yeah, I think anything related to day to day revenue. So that it's different for different apps. Um. For us, it's. A large chunk of our revenue comes from premium subscribers. So I have, I almost refresh this report like almost every thirty minutes. I try to do more often or less often than that because that's that's too soon. But uh, I, I do like to refresh my uh, daily acquisition report, just seeing how many premium subscribers we're getting, because uh, that that's like one of our biggest uh, impacts on revenue. What's going to result in performance for the company. So whatever is the biggest driver for for the company, um, to have that at hand is
1: important. All right, so, uh, so far we talked about the reports that are kind of a tactical, so what about this strategic stuff? What about the reports that you're not checking uh, like on a daily basis, but uh, less frequent, uh, what are these?
0: Yeah, so um, I think reading your user feedback Especially your bad reviews every day is is a little unhealthy. But uh doing that on a on some cadence to understand what your users are saying qualitatively is really good for your business to understand how to do things better. Um, I think since we're a subscription product, looking at churn is really useful. So seeing what that month to month looks like for the yearly plans, how that's how that's shaping up looking at the cohort behavior for what led to better or worse customers. Those are all good stuff to look at on a larger cycle. Um, and then if you're, if you have a payment processing system, you can look at uh, different items on the income statement. Uh, like what are the biggest elements to it? Even if it's not in marketing, you can see how that's changing or what you can do to improve it as a business. Like if you're doing a lot of really good stuff on the engineering or financial side. Um, then you can adjust what you're doing in marketing. So that's looking across the business. I think it's useful as um, any, someone in marketing should be looking or talking to like finance and the other teams.
1: Gotcha, Jeff. Okay, um, next point is incrementality. I think I've heard this term like five or six years ago, maybe more when um though the era of quick um, exponential growth for the bulk of apps on the uh, app market uh, was over and people were looking for ways to continue to grow. And like the only logical uh, answer was uh, incremental growth. And you could hear this term on um, any, um, you know, um, presentation from somebody from an ad network, DSP platform, a marketing agency. So um, how do we do incrementality growth analysis for popular marketing platforms? Just a few, uh, just a general uh, scheme, your approach.
0: Um, first off, I don't think incrementality is something you should ignore at any phase in an uh, economy, whether it's high growth or low growth, or whatever you want to call it you should always be trying to find what is incremental performance. Like even if you have access to a lot of capital, you want to make the most of it so you can grow faster. Instead of a leap, you go to this massive, massive jump. So I think incrementality is always going to be useful. Um, and I have some commentary on what to be doing differently nowadays. Uh, but related to your question incrementality, I think the way to do it for... Popular marketing platforms, it's somewhat of an art as well as a science. It really depends on how you wanna go about it. So for maybe less popular, more traditional marketing platforms like TV, radio, I think surveys are really useful, Um, but for the matter at hand for digital marketing, I think everyone should be looking into marketing mix modeling. Uh, It's pretty accessible actually. It's not as crazy as you think it'd be. I actually partnered with a local college in new york Uh, they have a data science department so i know a professor there he needed a class project so we worked together to make a media mix model we just basically tested different regression models and saw how well it fit the data i learned like what it looks like from the inside what a good media mix model is what a bad one is i think just outsourcing it completely to nielsen or some other big institution is probably going to be expensive and you won't be able to evaluate exactly what your marketing is doing. I think any marketer that loses touch with uh, the impact of their marketing is not, not a great thing. And I know it's difficult to, it seems scary to do data science, but I think it's worth the the effort. For something that's probably a little bit easier to do is to try and find other parallel uh deterministic tracking so for example recently like our our pixels report reports our number but we also have url utm trap uh, tracking for web traffic and i know that's not for for app but if you see how the platform will report on a pixel that way you can tell if they're grading their, their homework correctly basically um
1: using web as a parallel to app Speaking of um, measuring the traffic for a website, how do you guys like like GA4, the new update from Google, from the you know, Google Analytics? Are everybody okay with the new platform? Uh,
0: I don't use GA4 too much. I know that's like a hot take. I know it's a very popular thing to use Google Analytics, but I use um, our internal database. So I work... Because we're such a small company, we didn't even have Google Analytics when I started. Um, I do use it nowadays for some SEO stuff, but uh, like the engineers are like, if you want to look at things, just use our database. So I already knew some SQL. I learned how to write some some more SQL, like while doing the job. And I just uh, create our own BI reports via um, mode, like our BI tool to interface with our database directly, just looking at our event tracking, which we use uh segment as our CDP, We've been using Amplitude in the past for some other kinds of analysis, but GA is not something I I use too much. It's more so just for like a quick fix before I build something more robust in uh, mode.
1: Actually, I I was just asking because uh, Google has done this uh, really monumental, fundamental uh, update for the interface for the whole logistics of how reports have been compiled, uh, how they presented, like uh, it's uh, like a brand new platform if you think about it. So people have <laughs> mixed feelings about this update are uh, this for the better or just going to create a chaos for so many people once it's been like the only option for to use starting actually this July. But yeah, it's always great if you can uh, use a uh, number of other tools. You're not relying on one tool for measuring uh, your um, uh, performance, either mobile or desktop finally uh do you have any takeaways uh, for our listeners um
0: yeah I mean since it seems to be a hot topic that is an age of profitable growth um I think it's it's a little bit overstated but um it's I think any senior marketer should just keep the business objectives in mind at, at any phase of growth like I know nowadays due to like the finance team having to work with different uh funding schedules uh use I think at any point in a business this growth is worth talking to figure out what your objectives are and evaluating what risk level you want to take what reward what uh upside you want to potentially have for your growth schedule so just having that conversation and then changing the strategic plan of marketing on regular cycles based off of your talks with the finance team. Like they're saying, you need to grow by this amount, this efficiently, then you can set your marketing projects to suit that risk reward level. Um so that's going to change at any phase of of an economic cycle. So it's just up to to you to talk to them and find out what the best fit between marketing and finances. Gotcha, Jeff.
1: Okay. We're moving on from the first to the second part of the show where I take a chance to ask just a few quick questions to every guest who come on the show, because this is my way of uh, helping our audience, people who are listening to us, know people who are coming in the show a little bit better. Just not only the topic uh, we're covering, but you know, know them in person a little bit better. Here we go. Uh, what smartphone do you have now? And have you been switching between two, these two giants or being a fan of one platform all the time? Um, I like to experiment
0: with both. So I don't know if it's because I'm a marketer, but I like to use every social media, all all different types of operating systems. I was iPhone initially, and I think I'm more Android. I've tried the Pixel. I I did a lot of Google Ads advertising at one point, and I think the Pixel is just amazing. Google's done a great job with it.
1: So you're taking from both worlds. Um, Before... Existing of both iOS and Android, we used to have these flip phones, or now we call them feature phones. The first mobile phone you could put in your pocket. Do you remember what was your first mobile phone before um, iPhone?
0: Yeah, I mean there was something really popular, like one of the flip phones. I think it was like the Samsung Chocolate. I don't, I don't know what exactly what it was, but middle school was really cool. And then I remember in high school, I got like a keyboard phone from Google, which was I thought the coolest thing to to text on a keyboard, like, I don't know, in in high school, that was, it it would just make texting more fun, so.
1: Yeah, keyboard and a smartphone. Uh, Kids these days cannot appreciate this idea because it's way before their time. Um, Now, imagine um, you left your uh, home um, and um, you forgot your uh, uh, smartphone, it's still in your home sitting in in our kitchen table and um, you're out, what is the most amazing feature for you at that point? Uh,
0: Google Maps. I live in New York. Uh, oh, I've used it a lot to, to drive across the country, so it's it's a great app. I don't know what people. I know I know what people used to do actually, and it's terrible. So this is it's it's an amazing. I, I couldn't even get around without it.
1: Gotcha, Jeff. Yeah, it's uh, especially when you're living in a big city like New York uh, to get around. Uh, if you're not a taxi driver and you wasn't born here, you gotta have the good uh, map app in your pocket and your phone. Now, when you look at your uh, smartphone right now, um, can you think of anything you wish that thing could do for you? hardware software, some feature, maybe not brand new one, but you know the evolution uh, of an improvement of an existing feature something for you specifically, uh, that it would make it better as a tool.
0: Yeah. I think people are going to hate this, but I actually really like having Slack email, even discord on my phone. Um, I actually have done my own side project entrepreneur stuff for ever since the pandemic started. I had a lot of time and I fell in love with starting, um, my own business stuff slash artistic pursuits at this point. But just talking to being able to work from anywhere is, is awesome and can't imagine how how much less effective I'd be without
1: it. Gotcha, Jeff. Okay, before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do?
0: Um, LinkedIn's the best, especially for for this kind of stuff. I think in the future I'll have an online presence for my video game studio. I do kind of as a hobby, kind of as a business. And I want to do real estate investing. So if you hear about me from there, then I I did really well. Uh, Hopefully that
1: happens, but LinkedIn's definitely the best for now. Terrific. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for coming on our show and spending time with us. Thanks. Cool. Thanks for having me. And that was Jeff Wong, VP of Growth at Heados. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily remember we release episodes on mondays so subscribe and you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone tablet or computer as soon as we release them and please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on itunes it is highly appreciated and all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com thank you for listening see you next week
0: thank you for listening to the business of apps
1: podcast For
0: more, head on over to businessofapps.com